Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Sabbath service. Welcome to this high holy day, the Feast of Trumpets. Broadcasting here from CGI Burlington. And today we'll have the sermon entitled The Great Exchange, Part 2. And I'll be delivering that, Pastor Adrian Davis. Greetings, brethren. Just doing a sound check. Please confirm when you can hear the piano. And you can hear my voice. We'll get started shortly. Greetings, Mindy, on Facebook. Thanks so much for uh, confirmation that sound is coming through on Facebook. And just checking for cgi.online.church. Happy Sabbath, Mindy. Thanks, Sister Becca. Just see that the sound is not quite coming through on cgi.online.church. There's a longer delay there, so oh, it is working now. Great. So just getting some confirmation. Thank you, Becca, Jeff and Mo in Macedonia, Christine. A happy Sabbath to everybody. And looks like sound is working. Wonderful. God bless. Hello, everyone. Happy Sabbath to all of you, and especially coming this day, which is a double Sabbath, not just a regular weekly Sabbath, but also the Feast of Trumpet. It's a day that many of us, we've been waiting and waiting for a long time. We've been counting the days, and as probably as you can remember, it was over 100, over 80, over 90, and here we are. The month 7 on the Holy Calendar, day 1, which is the Feast of Trumpet. Welcome to all of you, no matter where you are. No matter where you're connecting from, we just we just happy, we're so glad, and we appreciate all of you, especially all of you who are coming on a regular basis, the week after week supporting us. Thank you so much. So tuning for one more week here to CGI Burlington here, and as normal as we do, today's a high holiday, so we'll have an opening prayer by Pastor Murray, and right after an opening prayer, he will deliver a short offertory message. As you remember, this is a high holiday, so we're not supposed to come empty-handed before our God, our Creator. So this time, just brethren, we'll have an opening prayer, and right after the opening prayer, we'll have an offertory message by Pastor Mori Palmatier. 
Good afternoon, everyone. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we are just so grateful now to come before your throne on that sea of glass with you and Jesus Christ there. And we're just so very, very grateful for your plan of salvation, the covenant that you created and made with Abraham so many years ago that you invited us to be a part of. We are so grateful to you, Jesus Christ, for your sacrifice, for making that possible for us to be grafted into that covenant. And what a great reminder, what a great time of year for us to be reminded of that as we both look forward to the fulfillment of your plan and look backward to remind ourselves of our place in that covenant. We humbly come before you now asking you to be with us, um, to accept us before your presence. We ask you to ensure that the technology works, that we may be able to worship together here today and hear the words from your servant that you have for us today. Please open his heart and mind to allow your spirit to flow through him, to teach us. We thank you for others who will serve here in the form of music. And we just are just so ever humbled and grateful to come before you on such a high, important Sabbath day, with replete with so much meaning. We now turn this service over to you. We trust and thank you for all that you do for us and, are, again, are so very grateful to you, Jesus Christ, for your sacrifice, making all of this possible. And we do so with humility and thanks in Jesus Christ's most holy, righteous, and perfect name. Amen. Well, greetings, everybody. And as our brother and deacon Jan mentioned, it is a high, holy Sabbath day, one that we've been counting to down to for um, months quite frankly, uh, ever since Pentecost. And it is a most holy, holy time of year. And as we um, are now have embarked on three weeks of holy time, of course not every day of those three weeks are, are Sabbaths, but as we see and as we see from the scriptures, like in Ezra, it is it is a holy period and holy season. What a privilege it is. What an honor and a privilege, and I hope we've realized that, that it, what it is to be able to understand the plan of God and to have these annual reminders that we are commanded to come together and remember and be taught. Thursday of this past week, another nail was driven into the coffin that will soon hold the corpse of Western civilization, a civilization that was not founded by the rich, not founded by the privileged, and not founded by any particular race. But it was a land and a civilization that was founded on Judeo-Christian principles and the desire to freely worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the very God that you have made covenant with. That is what this society, this culture, this area that we live in was founded on, Judeo-Christian Principles. Now, these were not perfect men, not at all, and there's no need to debate that. But our nations were founded by flawed men, but on biblical principles. This past week, just across the river, about 45 minutes to the east of where I'm sitting right now in Buffalo, New York, 
a city not unlike many of the cities that you live in, did something that should make true disciples of Jesus Christ shudder. Just when you think our governments and our society and those who lead us can't sink any lower, they do. The city of Buffalo and their educate and the, the folks that run their education system have included in the curricula of the fourth, fifth, and sixth grades the need to question the importance of the nuclear family in their lives. In the name of social justice and in an effort to teach, to inc- incorporate some of these social justice teachings, nine, 10, and 11-year-olds in the city of Buffalo will now be specifically taught that family, the nuclear family, complete with a dad and a mom, is the source of society's problems. And that the collective village is more important and more helpful to our children than the family. In fact, in a a stunning revelation, students of the fifth grade are asked to complete an assignment as part of these teachings that explores a society without separate nuclear family units. I pray I pray that the brethren amongst us that are teachers have the courage, the willpower to stand up and not teach this, should they be asked to. As part of this as well, the children are being taught to question everything their parents say. Not in a way that we are taught in scriptures, like in Acts 15, to go through the scriptures and discern what we hear from the pulpit, but in a rebellious way, they're being taught to question everything their parents teach them because it comes from the nuclear family, and that is the source of evil to these to these folks that are now running our education system. So again, I pray that the teachers amongst us have the courage to stand and not teach this. And I also encourage all parents to stay connected to what your children are being taught and be a voice of wisdom in their lives. Which brings me to why we are here today, not just on a Sabbath, but one of the annual high Sabbaths we are so privileged to observe. Now, I don't want to take too much time away from Pastor Adrian's message, but I would like to take a few minutes here to talk about why we are here today. One of the reasons we are here today. Much of this day, as you know, pictures more of the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption, how he will, how he after going into covenant with Abraham and Jesus Christ coming to, to show us what it is like to be the perfect sacrifice. And we'll hear more about how that plan will come to fruition, I'm sure, in the message part two, of the great exchange by Pastor Adrian in a few minutes. But a couple of weeks ago, Deacon Jan reminded us of the commanded memorial that this day brings with it. And I'd like to go back and look at that just for a little bit. Let's go to Leviticus 23. Important on this day that we go to the source of writings in the Hebrew scriptures for this day. Leviticus 23, we'll read verses 23 through 25. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, and that's where, that's what came to us last night at sunset, You shall have a Sabbath rest 
a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. You recall in his message a couple of weeks ago, we were reminded of the many things that this, that, that the children of Israel, God's covenant people, were commanded to keep. They were to rest. They were to convocate, come together and worship. They were to bring an offering and they were to remember the blowing of trumpets. Let's go back to Exodus 19. Remind us what Deacon Jan told us. Exodus 19. Exodus 19, as they were preparing to receive the law on Pentecost that year. Exodus 19 is where we see this blowing of trumpets that they were to remember. Pick it up in verse 16. That you recall that they had, uh, Moses had come before God and he was to go down and prepare the people for God's coming down on, on Mount Sinai. Verse 16 says, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the, tre- uh, the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. This was the blowing of trumpets as we were, as we were reminded that, that the children of Israel were told to remember on this day, on the first day of the seventh month. They were coming into, they had come into on Pentecost, the presence of God, the presence of the creator to receive his law and to vow and vowed to faithfully follow it for the rest of their lives. And we saw that faithful vow in chapter 24, just remind you in verse three of Exodus 24. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. We were, we were reminded to look back this, as, as God, God commanded in Leviticus 23, it was a memorial of the blowing of trumpets. And it was those trumpets back when the, the, the covenant people committed to this covenant that God laid before them. As God came down into their presence with the thunderings and the the sound of trumpets. What we have as the present day covenant people of God is so precious, so meaningful, so important that the very creator of the universe, not some star athlete, not some famous rich musician, not the president of the company you work for, not any politician, but the very creator of this entire universe calls us into his presence every year, every year, and asks us to remember that we are in covenant with him. Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, God here says to Moses, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you, not just referring to Moses, but to all the covenant people, those who would agree to come into covenant with him, you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So important that the Apostle Peter connects us 
the present-day covenant people of God to this very covenant by quoting this very same scripture, the very same words that God says to Moses. This makes us very special. If you are before God now, if you are, are last night at sunset, know that you are not coming just into a Sabbath day, but coming into an annual high Sabbath day, a double Sabbath, the Saturday Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath, sorry, and the Feast of Trumpets. If you know that, you're very special, very, very special. But before you get caught up in the word special, let me help define that for us. We are so special that it makes us accountable for what we know. That's important to realize. When we read Exodus 19, 5 and 6 and 1 Peter 2, verse 9, that talks about being a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a special generation. All that means is you're accountable. We're all accountable for what we know. Part of this day, as we heard and as we read, includes an offering to our God, done the only way we know how to today, a financial contribution to an organization of believers that teaches that the path to redemption goes only through the line of Judah, the anointed Messiah, Jesus Christ. But that path is through the very covenant that we are required to remember today. As we look forward to the fulfillment of God's plan, and very much looking forward to part two of the message here in a few minutes, we also are reminded to look back and remember that we are part of a covenant, that we committed our lives to this cause. So while we are doing our part in providing assistance to those who've taken on the task of preaching the covenant message of God, don't forget that you are so special, so very special to God, that you're accountable for it too. You have accountability. And that accountability, in part, is in Deuteronomy 6, where we'll finish up. Deuteronomy 6. Here is where we are all accountable. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son, and your grandson all the days of your life that you may that your days may be prolonged therefore hear o israel and as peter did when he connected us to that very covenant hear o my covenant people those of us who are before our god today on this annual high holy day be careful to observe it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the lord god of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey, but not just accountable to know it, but you're accountable to pass it on to your son, to your grandson. And we know that is not simply limited to the male offspring, but to all of our children and our grandchildren. Remember, we remember today that we are in covenant with God, that we go all the way back to the covenant the children of Israel made 
at Mount Sinai, and then even further back to the covenant that God made with Abraham. We remember it so that we can pass it on to the next generation, so that they remember it each year, and that they can pass it on. We are simply a cog in the wheel that keeps the message from dying out. While our enlightened leaders try to teach our children that family doesn't matter, that its very existence is evil, a true believer, a true member of the covenant, one like you that has gathered today before God to remember the blowing of the trumpets, that true believer knows that the family, the very foundation of life since the beginning of man's recorded history, that family is what guarantees if you follow the commands of God's law that we just read, guarantees that the covenant message never dies out. That is why we are so special, because we have a job to keep the flame of God's truth burning in a world that is bent on extinguishing it. Remember the blowing of the trumpets and be accountable for keeping the story alive. Yes, indeed, Pastor Murray. Thank you so much. Thank you for emphasizing, for highlighting, not just the words that we saw special, because yes, we indeed, we are very special people, just by the fact that from billions of billions of people today, there's only fractions of them who have a slightest clue what's happening today on this high holiday. So yes, indeed, we are special, but with this speciality comes accountability. And that's what the Feast of Trumpet reminds all of us. God will hold us accountable for what we know and how we behave. So thank you so much for your prayer, and thank you so much for this offertory message. And brethren, please don't forget, mail your check, use electronic ways, how to, you know, send your donations to organizations, whether it be CGI or whatever it might be, someone that's preaching the right gospel to the people and care about God's law and his covenant. So thank you so much. Now at this time, we'll have a, we'll have a hymn. And right after him, we'll go to the scripture reading, and scripture reading will be read to us by Brother Daniel. And it comes, you have the Bibles open, so it shouldn't be a problem. Turn to Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11, and the scripture reading will come from this chapter, verses 1 through 7. But before we go to the scripture reading, we'll have a hymn. And this hymn, you have the hymnal, is on page 11, crown, crown him with many crowns. If not, the word will be projected on your screen. So the hymn first and then Bible reading right after.
Good afternoon, everyone, and happy Day of Trumpets. Um, as mentioned before, the script reading today is taken from Romans 11, verses 1 to 7. Uh, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleased with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace, otherwise work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have attained it, and the rest were blinded. Amen. Thank you, Brother Daniel, and thank you also, Sister Jennifer, playing piano so wonderfully. Now, at this time, we'll have announcements, so we'll just go quickly through the some most important announcements here today. And as always, as always, remember the weekly Bible study on Wednesday, each Wednesday at 7.30 Eastern Time, which Pastor Agent continue in the study of the Book of Psalms. And as always, please tune in or listen in our archives. Share with others so the others can hear it. And please also remember next week for another regular Sabbath service will take place here at the same time at 2.30 Eastern time. So please remember that also. And as you know already, the Feast of Trumpet today is just the beginning of the first day of the month seven. The Day of Atonement will actually happen nine days later along the, along the way, which will, it, which will take place on Monday, September 28th. It's supposed to be in your calendar. The day shouldn't hit you by a surprise, right? On Monday 28, we'll, have, we'll observe the Day of Atonement. We'll be fasting. We'll be actually fasting from Sunday evening all the way to Monday evening. And just a reminder, no food and no water through the day. So just please prepare yourself physically, mentally, and also as well spiritually. So no food from Sunday evening to Monday evening on, on Monday, September 28. And then, of course, first day of the Feast of Tabernacle, which is coming October 3rd, will start on Friday evening. The first day of the Feast of Tabernacle, October 3rd, Friday evening. And the last great day will be October 10th, which will be the double Sabbath, just like the Feast of Trumpet. And as I said, as we're coming into this holy month, the month 7 on this God's holy calendar, make sure that we all prepare, spiritually especially. So that will take care of the announcement. And now, the reminder, as you know, the main message of today will come from Pastor Agent David, which he will continue the Great Exchange Part 2, the Great Exchange Part 2 by Pastor Agent David. But before we go to the main message, we are so blessed today to have a special presentation by Sister Jessica and Sister Caitlin that will sing for us a special song entitled, Not Even Now. So special song now, and then we'll go right away to the main message, The Great Exchange, Part 2, by Pastor Agent David. Please enjoy it.
Absolutely beautiful, sisters. Thank you so much. Uh, not even now are you defeated. And it's just amazing uh, what God has enabled us to do 
despite the economic lockdown, despite us being able to gather together, uh, we are still able to have our services, even on this high holy day, the Feast of Trumpets, and celebrate and have such beautiful, special music. We were blessed by that. Thank you so much. Pastor Murray, thank you so much for the offertory. Uh, very insightful, very inspiring, but also very sobering. Wow. Uh, a, a direct attack, direct a satanic attack on God's institution of the family. And, uh, yeah, we appeal to those who are in the teaching profession uh, that you know, hopefully you have the courage and the wherewithal to stand up against this. Thank you, Deacon Jan, for your uh, facilitation uh, so well, and, and Brother Daniel for the reading of the scripture. Uh, Deacon Jan mentioned that we are covering now, and Pastor Murray as well, uh, the Great Exchange Part 2. Uh, I did mention last week that this Great Exchange will take place on at least three levels. And for many, that it's going to be like a, a magic trick, that they, they're just not aware of what's happening, and they're just going to wake up one day, and this whole massive exchange will have taken place on three levels, and they had no idea what was happening. They had no idea it was taking place because they were distracted, and they were looking in the wrong place. So in part one, we set the context so that we could understand the great exchange. And we saw that the great tribulation has been decreed by God on Jerusalem, on Judah, and on Jacob. We also saw that the great tribulation leads to the great redemption. In fact, it wouldn't be wrong to call the great tribulation the great redemption. I think if we did that, we would, we would understand it more. And then we would not be so fearful, even though it is a fearful thing, it is necessary and it is purposeful. And the outcome of it is the great redemption. So today, God willing, we will explore the great exchange. The great exchange, which will happen immediately before what this day pictures, the return of Jesus Christ, the triumphant return of Jesus Christ. There's a great exchange that's going to happen immediately before so it's quite interesting that, you know, part one and part two, we, we had this week between then and now, which sort of pictures symbolically this tumultuous period immediately before the return of Jesus. The great exchange will begin and it will be completed upon the return of Jesus Christ, which this day pictures. Let's begin then in Isaiah 27. Isaiah 27, we're going to go through the prophets to understand this great exchange. But first, we want to understand this, this great redemption. Isaiah 27, verse 6, he says, and we have to remember, as uh, Pastor Murray was outlining, God is a God of covenant, and we, we are the people of the covenant. We are the first fruits of the covenant people. And, and we must not forget, and we must declare this. Isaiah 27, verse 6, He, that is God, shall cause them that come of Jacob to take root. These are the people that have suffered trouble like no nation ever in the history of mankind. And the objective is to destroy them completely. And God says that if he did not intervene, no flesh of Jacob would survive. But for Jacob's sake, he will intervene. He will shorten these days. And so we see the result of him shortening these days, that he shall cause them that come of Jacob to take root. Israel shall blossom. And when the Bible says Israel... 
the Bible is referring to the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, those people that have called the nation of Israel, uh, they are the tribe of Judah. That is, well, Judah, Benjamin, Levi. Uh, so there's uh, three tribes there and maybe a bit of Simeon. Uh, there's, so there's some tribes there, but primarily it's the southern tribe of Judah. That's what is called Israel today. But the true Israel is 12 tribes. And so we have to understand that when God says Israel, he means all 12 tribes, not just the Jews. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. Here we are, a people that Satan desired to completely eliminate. And God says that, no, that's not going to happen, not even now. Instead, the opposite is going to happen. That Israel shall fill the face of the world with fruit. And it shall come to pass in that day, in that day, that the Lord shall beat off from the channel of the river unto the stream of Egypt, and you shall be gathered one by one, O you children of Israel. And this is again the great gathering that Moses declared from, from the Torah. And it shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown. That's what we're celebrating, brethren, the blowing of the great trumpet. It shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown, and they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria, and the outcasts in the land of Egypt. So here we have the king of the north and the king of the south, both contending to destroy these people and enslaving them. But on this great blowing of trumpets, they shall come, which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria, and the outcasts in the land of Egypt. They'll come, and they shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. And this this concludes that the narrative that Christ began in Matthew 23, when he said, look, I, I wanted to protect you, but you wouldn't have it. So you're not going to see me again until you shall say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Meaning they have no Messiah, they have no Savior except Jesus Christ. And they finally acknowledge this is our Lord, this is, who, this is the Messiah that we have been waiting for. And here it comes full circle. They now come and they worship Jesus Christ in the Holy Mount at Jerusalem. That's when they see him again. The last time they saw him was in Jerusalem. The time they will see him again is in Jerusalem. And we saw in the Bible study this week, and hopefully you're tracking with us in the Bible studies, why is this tribulation, this great tribulation, this suffering that no nation has ever suffered to this extent, why is it necessary? Why cannot God just do it another way? Well, Psalm 78 shows us. And Moses told us this in, in Deuteronomy. But in Psalm 78, verse 34, when he slew them, then they sought him. And we saw that through our study of, of Judges. And they returned and inquired early after, early after God. They were, okay, let's, let's go after God now. And they remembered that God was their rock and the high God, their redeemer. Nevertheless, there was a problem. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth. And they lied unto him with their tongues, for their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. So this was the problem, that they've had tribulation after tribulation, trouble after trouble. And when they're in trouble, when they're in tribulation, that's when they cry out to God. That's when they remember God. That's when they want to get right with God. But it's not to the root and core of their being. It's hypocritical. It's, it's superficial. It's, it's flattery. It's in the mouth, but it's not in the heart. And so God says, okay, you know, even though you're breaking the covenant, 
You're breaking the, 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 the conditions of the covenant. It doesn't break the covenant. I am in covenant with you. I am married to you. I am, I am eternally uh, attached to you. And so all you've done is activate, as we said last week, activate the curse clauses. And so the very fact that these people are cursed with the great tribulation, it, it actually demonstrates that they're still in covenant. Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah 30, and we'll break in at verse 4. All the prophets, all the prophets are just ampl- repeating and amplifying the original prophet by Moses in before they even stepped foot in the land. He, he wasn't going into the land with them because they, they provoked him so much that he angered, he was so angry that he, he disrespected God and misrepresented God. And nobody's above the law. Not even the great lawgiver is above the law. So he could not go into the land. Unlike when you look at uh, the doctrine of Islam, where God just loved Muhammad so much. God was just so in love with Muhammad that anything he did, God would just acquiesce and say, oh, it's Muhammad. And so he, he bows down and he worships idols. And it's, oh, it's okay, it's Muhammad. I just love him so much. So Muhammad was above the law. But this is not how God works. No one is above the law. The law is part of the eternal order. And Moses, the great lawgiver, was not able to go into the promised land because he was not above the law. But all these prophets are repeating the original prophecy. He, had, he, he didn't step foot in the promised land. He told them, when you, you go, you're going into the promised land, you're not going to stay there. You're going to be unfaithful. You're going to break the covenant. And these curses are going to be activated. And you're going to be thrown out of the land. And then when you truly repent, when you're, when you're enslaved in nations all over, and you truly repent, then God will gather you and bring you back into the land when you are truly holy people. So this is what has been playing out in in different levels of rehearsal for this final great tribulation, when they will finally, finally, truly repent. And Moses foresaw that as well. But here in Jeremiah 30 and verse 4, And these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. This, this is what God has to say concerning Israel and, and Judah. Verse 7. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It, it is a day like no other in the history of mankind. There has never been a day like this. And after this day, it will never be repeated. It is, it is a peculiar and unique day. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. We should really uh, translate that. It is especially the time of Jacob's trouble. The whole world will be in trouble, but it's specifically designed for Jacob. It is especially the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. It has a purpose. In fact, the reason it comes is in order to truly save Jacob, in order to get Jacob out of this hypocritical, superficial uh, um, cosmetic relationship with God. Oh, we're the covenant people. We can do whatever we like. And then we only get serious about God when we're in trouble. And then we get back to our, our, our filth and our debauchery. No, that's going to end. You're the covenant people. You will be the covenant people. You have been chosen by God, and he will not change his mind. And so the promises that he made to Abraham, the promises that uh, Isaac and Jacob inherited, these promises to the, fa- to, the, to the forefathers, God does not go back on his promise. And so this is what he has to do in order to fulfill 
his word. So, so Jacob absolutely, absolutely, 100% will be uh, saved out of it. Now we come to Jeremiah 31 and verse 1. At the same time, at this time of great tribulation, says the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel? And there's that special word that Pastor Murray mentioned, the families. God is, God is the designer and orchestrator of family. And that is what Satan is out to destroy. Because families shape minds. And so these families will be saved. So God says, at this time of great tribulation, I will be the God of all the families of Israel. And they shall be my people. That, that's the covenant. That was what was original. That's the, the arrangement that was made. And as much as these people have tried to break this covenant over and over and over again, it doesn't break God's faithfulness. God has entered into this covenant. He's going to see it through, even if it takes the great tribulation. And so they shall be, Israel shall be his people. Verse 2, thus says the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness. And we know in Revelation 12, they have to flee to the wilderness from the sword. But they're going to find grace there. Even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. The Lord has appeared of old unto me, saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. He says, I am married to you. And this is what the covenant marriage or or the the, the marriage covenant should picture. Even though it's till death do us part, this symbolizes an eternal bond. Because this is what Christ has entered into with Israel. He he will be the God of Israel. uh, Luke says he'll be the God of Jacob forever. That means Jacob is forever. Jacob cannot be destroyed. Satan's plans and designs notwithstanding. The Lord has appeared of old unto me saying, yes, confirmation. I have loved you, Israel, with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you. And so when Christ says in Matthew 24, we should hear this, that when he returns, his angels will gather the elect, those that he is in everlasting love and covenant with from the four corners of the earth where Moses says they will be scattered because of their disobedience. Verse 7, For thus says the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob. We, we can now rejoice for this, this tribe, these peoples that have suffered like no nation has ever suffered in the history of mankind. This suffering was designed specifically and exclusively for Jacob. And after coming through this, this intense, severe suffering, there is fruit. Finally, Jacob becomes what God had in mind when he said, I'm married to you. I'm, I'm in covenant with you. For thus says the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of the nations. Publish you, praise you and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. There's always a remnant. And so this, this, we, we don't believe in replacement theology. Replacement theology would be to call God a liar. And, and God is not God if he's a liar. What makes God God is the truth and the power of his word. He speaks and it, it comes into being. And nobody can withstand, no matter how much they try to withstand and, and destroy, not even now can they turn back God's word. So let's praise him and let's publish this, the true gospel. And say, save your people, the remnant of Israel. This, this is the heart and mind that we must have. 
that we want to see Israel saved. You think of how Paul would even give up his own salvation if it meant that Israel could be saved. Behold, he says, I will bring them from the north country. So the king of the north, the Antichrist, is going to take them slaves. But Christ says, I will bring them. I will bring them back from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth, which uh, Moses said in Deuteronomy, this is where they would be scattered. And with the with them, the blind and the lame, the woman with child and her that travails with child together. Remember in Matthew 24, he says, you better not be in this condition because they'll have no mercy. So they're trying to run as as fast as they can and do what they can. And God says, I'm coming to save you. If it were not for me to intervene, no, no Jacob, no Jacobean flesh would be saved and no flesh in Jerusalem because the whole focus of Matthew 24 was the promised land. So Jerusalem and the surrounding land, no flesh there would be saved, but God is going to cut it short. He says, a great company shall return there. So, so they will be saved. They shall come with weeping and true repentance. This is what, this is what Moses said in Deuteronomy 30. You, you need to be Jacob, you stiff-necked people. You need to be driven to this point where you truly repent. And when your heart is finally circumcised, then God will gather you. They shall come with weeping and with supplications will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. <laughs> so God has not forgotten Israel. Ephraim is his firstborn. Verse 35. Thus says the Lord, which gives the sun for a light by day, and the ordinance of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divides the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. So there are a people described in Matthew 24 who know his name. And because they are preaching the true gospel according to his name, they are hated by all nations. Because all nations have fallen victim to a satanic agenda. And there are a people who have the courage and the understanding to say that agenda is satanic and it is false. And this is the truth. The good news is that God will save Jacob. The good news is that he will restore the kingdom to Jacob. This is our gospel. This is our good news. The gospel of the kingdom being restored to Israel. And so the Lord of armies, he's a fighting God. He's a warrior God. And he's angry. And he's coming to shed blood. And the Lord of hosts is his name. He's the Holy One of Israel. And this is the gospel that we preach. And because we preach this gospel, they can't stand it. Because they have an agenda that is the antithesis of this. Now, regarding the day and the night and the sea, God says in verse 36, If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. I hope we have shaken this replacement theology. I hope we no longer believe that, if we ever did, that the church replaces Israel. Oh yeah, yeah, there was ancient Israel, but now there's spiritual Israel and God has forgotten ancient Israel. That is to call God a liar. And God stands by his word and says, if you can, if you can destroy the night and the day, then, also, then Israel will no longer be a nation before me 
forever. But we know from Luke and other scriptures that Israel, God will be the God of Jacob forever. Therefore, Jacob must be forever. We know from Revelation that when the New Jerusalem comes down, it comes down with 12 gates, each gate named after one of the tribes of Israel. And you can only come into New Jerusalem if you come through one of the tribes of Israel. So once this salvation is in place, pictured by what we're celebrating today, the Feast of Trumpets, or this blowing of the trumpets and God is coming to save, Jesus means God saves, Yeshua. He saves. Yeshua HaMasiah. He, he is the Messiah. The, the anointed one coming to save his people. He is the Holy One of Israel. And, and the fact that he is the Holy One of Israel, that is the initial exchange that enables the great exchange. The Holy One of Israel is the initial exchange. That Israel would not keep the covenant faithfully. So God left heaven and said, okay, I will do it. I will come to earth and I will represent Israel. I will be the Holy One of Israel. And so when he came, he was careful to live by every word of God. And when Satan did everything he could to try to tempt him and seduce him away from the word of God, he absolutely would not. He contended with Satan with the word of God. And that's why, again, when we talk about the, you know, a lot of people love to preach on the woman caught in adultery and say, well, God, God forgave it. No problem. No, there was something, there was a contest, a satanic attack taking place where they were trying to get him to depart from Torah or to be uh, killed by the Romans. And he navigated that so carefully and absolutely followed Torah. He absolutely followed Torah because he came to live by, he was the living Torah. And so as the representative of Israel, he fulfilled the conditions of the covenant so that he could then receive the blessings of the covenant. But instead of receiving the blessings of the covenant, what he did instead was receive the curses of the covenant on Israel's behalf. He said, all of the curses that Israel deserves, I will have them on my back. I, I will be the sheep that is, the lamb that is slaughtered on their behalf. Now, once I'm slaughtered, if they choose me as their savior, they can now inherit the blessing. So there's this great exchange. Israel is heading for a curse. Christ is heading for the blessing. And he allows this exchange where Israel can now inherit the blessing as he inherits the curse. He inherits the curse so that Israel can inherit the blessing. And because of that exchange, now we have the great exchange, which happens immediately before and on his return. So on his return, he comes, Zechariah 12, he comes to save Jerusalem and Judah and all Jacob. The first exchange then is the Gentiles will be exchanged for Israel. Exchange level one, the Gentiles for Israel. Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30. Verse 3, Moses writes, when they are finally in this tribulation, great tribulation, and truly repent, that then the Lord your God will end your slavery and have compassion upon you and will return and gather you from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. We just read that in Jeremiah. Christ referred to it in Matthew 24. When, when you are finally driven to your knees in truth, then God will end your captivity and bring you back. And the Lord your God will put all these curses 
upon the Gentiles. The Lord your God will, so there's an exchange. All these curses that belong to Israel, God is going to save Israel and put them, when, when Israel repents and put them on the Gentiles. And the Lord your God will put all these curses upon your enemies and on them that hate you, which persecuted you. Isaiah says the same thing. So again, all the prophets are magnifying, they're amplifying, they're repeating what Moses has laid down in the, in the Torah. So Isaiah says in Isaiah 43 and verse 1, But now, thus says the Lord that created you, O Jacob, and he that formed you, O Israel, fear not, don't be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Amos says, of all the families of the earth, you only have I known. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, so they're being taken slave, they're, they're being um, persecuted and tortured and, and debased. But when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. God is coming to save them. Neither shall the flame kindle upon you. Why? For I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. I, I am the Holy One of Israel. I am the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. Your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom. Ethiopia and Sheba for you. So these Muslim tribes, God is trading the curse that belongs to Israel. God is saying, I'm taking Israel. Give these Muslim tribes the curses instead. This is exactly what Moses said. Those that have persecuted you, those that hate you. So we look now at in, in uh, Israel, the, the tribe of Judah, and these these neighbors that that hate them and want to destroy them. They're all Muslim, and and they have a doctrine that causes them to absolutely hate Judah, and and they want to completely eliminate every Jew. In fact, their prophecy says they have to do that uh, before they they they're they're in their eschatology. That's that's part of their eschatology. They have to eliminate every Jew. They have to slaughter every Jew. And God is saying, okay, I'm going to stop that. And then all these curses that, that they were actually enacting upon you, I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to exchange. I'm going to ransom you for them. I, I, everything that was on you is going to be on them. So these Muslim tribes, Egypt, Ethiopia, and Sheba, they're going to go into the curse. In Isaiah 60 and verse 12, Isaiah writes again. He says, for the nation and kingdom that will not serve you will perish. This is the ascendancy of Israel. This is the chosen tribe on the earth, the peculiar people that sit above all other people on the earth. Sorry if you don't like it. I didn't write it. This is the scripture. This is God's plan. This is his design. This is the creator. This is how he has decided to bless all mankind. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Yes, those nations shall be utterly wasted. So, so they thought in the great tribulation that Judah would be utterly wasted, that Jacob would be utterly wasted, but there's a great exchange. And now they will be utterly wasted unless they bow down and accept the ascendancy, the primacy of Israel and Judah. Verse 14, the sons also of them that afflicted you, read Muslims here, shall come bending unto you, and all they that despised you shall bow themselves down at the soles of your feet. And they shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion, the Holy One of Israel. So this contention over Jerusalem, 
where they believe they must have it and they set up the abomination that makes desolate because they have to be the primary ones. They're going to humble themselves so greatly when the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah returns and they will acknowledge the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated so that no man went through you. Remember, Christ says they'll be hated by all nations. I will make you an an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. Verse 16. You shall also suck the milk of the Gentiles and shall suck the breast of kings. And you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. They'll finally acknowledge this. Here's another part of the exchange. For brass I will bring gold, and for iron I will bring silver, and for wood brass, and for stones iron. So, so Jerusalem will have this incredible upgrade, and it will be holy unto the Lord. I will also make your officers peace, and your exactors righteousness. Verse 18. Violence shall no more be heard in your land. It was a time of great tribulation. It was completely characterized and known by nothing but violence. And now violence shall no more be heard in your land, wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. So all over the world it will be known as the place of salvation and the place of praise. Your people also shall be all righteous. In another place they'll say, uh, he says, I think it's in Micah, that no one will say, know the Lord. Because they'll all know me when this happens. Your people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. What a blessing, brethren, that we can open the word of God and understand these things. Not not even the Jews themselves can open the word of God and understand these things. What a great blessing it is. And, And we understand, God wanted us to understand just how great a blessing it was. In Matthew 13, he says to his disciples and to us by extension who understand these things, he says in Matthew 13 and verse 9, who has ears to hear? Let him hear. In other words, not everybody's going to have ears to hear this. But if you have ears to hear this, then listen. And the disciples came and said unto him, why do you speak to them, that is the Jews? Why are you speaking? You're a Jew. We're Jews. They're Jews. Why, amongst all of us Jews here, Why are you speaking to them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to those Jews, it is not given. For whosoever has to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever has not, from him shall be taken away even what he has. Speaking of the Jews. Therefore, I speak to those Jews in parables. Because they seeing, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. Now, verse 14. And in them, in those Jews over there that I'm speaking to in parables, in those Jews is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, that I should heal them. Because we've been through this many times. 
And if they are converted and I heal them and it's premature, they're just going to go back to their old ways. Therefore, we're going to close off their understanding. And they're going to lead themselves into the great tribulation. And when they suffer in this unprecedented way, then I will remove this blindness and this deafness and this arrogance. And then they will truly repent. But we don't want, we don't want them repenting prematurely. We've been this, we've been through this cycle so many times. It's been the history of Israel and Judah. So let's stop the cycle and you're going to get it full, full on undiluted. But then he speaks to these Jews, his disciples, and to us by extension, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and they haven't seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and they have not heard them. So, so we are in a position now, brethren, where we can see and we can understand And the very people of the covenant, physically, descendants of Jacob and Judah, they have no idea. They don't understand. They don't accept Messiah. They don't understand how to interpret their scriptures. And here we are, grafted in, and we understand. But be careful. Knowledge puffs up. And so level one of the the great exchange is God is going to trade the Gentiles for Israel. He wants Israel. And so he'll, he'll, he'll ransom Israel with the Gentiles. Let the Gentiles come under the great tribulation curse. And I will redeem Israel. And here we understand all these things. But be careful. Because level two of the great exchange is God will trade the Gentile church for Israel. That's right. The Holy Spirit filled Gentile church God will trade them for Israel if we don't love the truth deeply and truly. So, you know, it's one thing to have this curse of being deaf, dumb, and blind and arrogant, but it's not an eternal curse. And Christ specifically quoted that day. It's being fulfilled what Isaiah wrote. But in Matthew 23, he said, you're not going to see me again until your eyes are opened and your ears are opened and you've, you've been humbled and you acknowledge me. So you will see me again. Because he knew, he was quoting Isaiah, that Isaiah said in Isaiah 6 that when, when Isaiah asked, well, well, how long will they be in this condition? And he said, until Jerusalem is desolate. Until the cities of Judah are desolate. What he revealed to Daniel as the abomination that makes desolate. And then in Matthew 24, he tells us, watch for the abomination that makes desolate. Because that's when everything just accelerates and comes to conclusion. But when the abomination that makes desolate comes, when the, desol- when the great desolation comes, Judah's eyes will be opened. Their ears will be opened. Their hearts will be circumcised. So they will be grafted back in to the church, the covenant church. But as glorious as this outcome is, and we, pray for, we should be praying for it, and we should be celebrating it, it's very sobering as well. Because it leads to the second level of the great exchange. Let's look at this passage that that our brother Daniel read, Romans 11 and verse 1. I say then, do we believe that God has cast away his people? Is, Is that what we believe, this replacement theology? I say then, has God cast away his people? God forbid. Why would the apostle come out so strongly 
the, the, this thought that God has cast away his people that, that we entertain so so readily. Oh yeah, the church replaces Israel. Why would the apostle be horrified by this and say, God forbid? Because such a doctrine makes God a liar. Such a such a doctrine destroys any trust we can have in the word of God. God forbid. He has not cast away his people. He's saying, look at me. I, I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. In fact, when Christ said, blessed are your eyes because they see, he was speaking to Jews. So, so, yeah, these Jews have been blinded, but the early church was Jewish. So we, so we cannot say that God has replaced the church with, with Gentiles. Excuse me. The, the church was Jewish. In fact, they had a whole council in Acts 15. The church saying, what do we do with these Gentiles who obviously have received the Holy Spirit? Verse 2, God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he made intercession to God against Israel. Elijah was, the, uh, Israel was the enemy of Elijah. And Elijah had to call down curses upon them. Don't you know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he makes intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed your prophets? Isn't that exactly what Christ said in Matthew 23 when he condemned them? Oh, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets? And Jerusalem, uh, Christ actually said, I have to get to Jerusalem. Because it cannot be said that a prophet was killed outside of Jerusalem. Lord, they have killed your prophets. And they've dug down your altars. These are the people of God. And I am left alone. And sometimes, you know, Paul himself said that no man stood with me. Sometimes we can feel very alone. And, and I think all of the servants of God have that feeling like, am I the only one here? And fortunately, God shows us, no, you're not alone. And he showed uh, Elijah, you're not alone. He says, I'm left alone. And they seek my life. They, 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 they killed all the prophets. And now they want to kill me, the last one. But what says the answer of God unto him? I've reserved to myself... 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. So there's always a faithful remnant. Even so then, Paul is saying, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. In other words, there are physical descendants of Jacob that are provable by DNA that are a faithful remnant. So don't come to the conclusion that God has thrown away his people. No, he says, even, even now, as Paul was speaking in the first century, there was a, a remnant according to the election of grace, which goes all the way back to Moses. And if by grace, so, so Israel was selected by grace, so if it's by grace, then it's no more of works. So the fact that they were killing the prophets, the fact that Elijah said, I'm the only one left and they want to kill me too, that doesn't remove the covenant. Because the covenant wasn't based, they, they were not chosen, they were not elected based on their works. Abraham wasn't selected based on his works, but his belief. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. So if it was dependent on works, it wouldn't be grace anymore. But if it be of works, then it's no more of grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? Israel has not obtained that which he seeks for, but the election has obtained it, and the rest were blinded. That's exactly what Christ said. That I'm speaking to you, you've obtained it, Blessed are your eyes, but the other Jews, they're they're blinded. So the the election has obtained it. Now, in verse 8, listen to him. He quotes Isaiah. According as it is written, God has given them, the Jews, 
the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, unto this day. So, And this is what Jeremiah quoted as well. And David says, David curses them. Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. And yes, David, your prayer is answered with the great tribulation. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Does the great tribulation and, and the desire of this, the, the doctrine of Islam to, to eliminate every Jew on the planet, will they have their way? They've been doing this, trying to do this for 1400 years. Not even now. Not even now. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. God forbid. That would make God a liar. But rather, through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles in order to provoke them to jealousy. So, so this is a, the mystery of God. That through their fall, he has now extended the, the, this blessing of covenant to Gentiles. So Gentiles can now be grafted in. And by being grafted in and understanding the true gospel and preaching the true gospel of the covenant, as Pastor Murray uh, discussed in the, in the offertory, by doing that and showing what the true, what the scriptures really mean, we provoke them to jealousy. We don't provoke them to jealousy by celebrating Easter and Christmas and Valentine's Day and Halloween. We don't provoke them to, to jealousy by worshiping on, on, on the Sun God Day. We, we, we don't provoke them to jealousy with Christmas trees. We provoke them to jealousy with the covenant and, and our deep, insightful understanding of the covenant and the good news of the kingdom being restored to Israel. And they're like, what? How is it that they know our scriptures better than we do? And it provokes them to jealousy. That's the design. Verse 18. So we have all of this knowledge, and Christ says to us who have been grafted in, blessed are your eyes. They don't see. They're blind. They're deaf. Their heart is fat. They don't see. They don't understand. But you understand. And, and prophets have longed to see the things that, that, and understand the things that you understand. But here's the warning from Paul. Don't be arrogant. Boast not yourself against the branches. So never have a doctrine. Never have an ideology. Never have a, 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 a thought process in mind where you elevate yourself above the Jews, above natural-born Israelites. Never do that. Instead, be humble and understand you we're grafted in in order to provoke them to jealousy. We're grafted in in order to warn them. We're grafted in in order to say to Jerusalem, behold, your God. We're not grafted in to throw them away and, and think that God is done with them and now we're the special people and the whole universe revolves around us. No. Boast not against the branches. But if you, if you choose to boast, okay, don't boast and, and get rid of this replacement theology. But if you are going to have this replacement theology, you bear not the root, the root bears you. You will say then, yeah, well, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, well, it's because of unbelief that they were broken off. And you stand by faith. The only reason you stand is because of your faith. So do not be arrogant. Do not be high-minded, but, but fear. You, you have to believe in the word of God. That's what faith is. Faith isn't, oh, I believe. I believe. I believe I can fly. Whew, I believe I can touch the sky. That's not faith. That's nonsense. That's rubbish. 
Faith is, God's word says this, I'm going to be like Abraham. I'm going to believe God's word. So faith is believing God's word, and we stand by faith. So do not be high-minded, but fear. For if God, listen now, this is getting very sobering, this is getting real. For if God spared not the natural branches, think of the, the tribulation or the tribulations that they've been through and the great tribulation that they will have to go through. If God spared not the natural branches, beware, brethren, take heed, lest he also spare not you. So that possibility is there, that we will not be spared if we do not stand by faith, if we come up with some other doctrine beside what God said. Behold, therefore, so take note, the goodness and severity of God you know, some of us in, in, in the church, we only want to see the goodness of God. We never talk about the severity of God. And if the severity of God ever comes up, we're offended. No, God is truly good. He's truly merciful. He's also severe. The great tribulation is an, an expression of his severity. You come into covenant with God, don't play around. Take it seriously. Behold the goodness and severity of God. On them which fell severity but toward you goodness if you continue in his goodness so that means there's possibility that the goodness that's been extended toward us can be removed and replaced with his severity just as the the natural branches have experienced are experiencing and will experience otherwise you also shall be cut off Verse 23, and they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. And so we know from the prophets, we know from Christ himself when he said, you won't see me again until you, you, you come into belief. So we know from the prophets, including Christ and Moses, so from Moses to Christ and all the prophets in between, that they will finally come to belief. It'll take great tribulation to get them there. But when they get there, God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, so you're, Gentiles are wild by nature, and you were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how, how much easier, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, verse 25, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. It's a mystery. Lest you should be wise in your own conceits. Get, get caught up and think you're the center of the universe. And, and think and re- believe in replacement theology. So blindness, in part, not completely. Remember, Christ was talking to Jews. And he said, it's been given to you, but not to them. And the church was Jewish when it was founded. That blindness, in part, not not in whole, has happened to Israel. Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So so there's this replacement where Gentiles are coming in and and natural-born Israelites are pushed out of the covenant. And so, and, and then... Their eyes will be opened, we just read those prophecies, where they will now come back in. God will graft them back in, and so all Israel shall be saved. That was God's intention from the beginning, to save the covenant people. But he's using Gentiles now, and a provocation in the preaching of the true gospel, to bring them back. And so all Israel, so somebody has to be preaching the true gospel in all the world. And we'll be hated for it, we'll be killed for it, we'll be persecuted for it, but it has to go to all the world as a witness. So they will have no excuse. They can't say, well, we didn't know. 
And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer. And what's he going to do? And he shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them, unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. They They were Elijah's enemies. They were David's enemies. And concerning the gospel, there are enemies. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So there is this tremendous risk of the Gentile church being replaced by the natural Jews, the natural Israelites, pushed out to face great tribulation, while those who are facing great tribulation will be brought in. What does the Apostle Paul say to the Thessalonians? 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 1. Now we beg you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is what we're celebrating today, that he is going to come and return. But he's begging by this coming and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. And again, you know, we saw that with 9-11. People thought, oh, the day of Christ is at hand. Here with 2020, with all the crazy things that are happening this year, people think, oh, it's going to happen. No, we're watching Matthew 24. We're we're watching the things that Christ told us to watch for. We're waiting for the abomination of desolation. That's what we're looking for. So our eyes are on Jerusalem, not New York, not Toronto, not London. He says here, let no man deceive you. So Christ said, first thing, when they want to know, when does all make sure that nobody deceives you? So deception is what we have to fight against. Deception is what we have to resist. And Paul is saying here to those in Thessalonica, let no man deceive you by any means. Every every effort is going to be made to take you down with deception. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Uh Uh-oh. There must be a great apostasy. The church must apostatize before Christ returns. At the same time, the natural-born branches are going to be grafted back in. But there's going to, So the people who have been carrying the, the burden for all these decades, all these centuries, these two millennia, the, this just Gentile church is going to apostatize. There's going to be a great apostasy before Christ returns. And then the natural branches are going to come in. This is the second level of the great exchange. So that day will not come. The day we're celebrating, what, what this day pictures, it won't come unless there's a falling away first. And then the Antichrist is going to be revealed. So Paul tells us there's going to be a great apostasy. And he warns them, don't be deceived. Don't allow yourself to be deceived. Because the, the agenda of Satan is to deceive God's people. Paul learned that directly from Christ, but Peter learned it directly from Christ as well. And so when Christ was teaching, they asked him and he was teaching them and he said, let nobody deceive you. And he, he, he then taught them everything. Peter expounds on that in second Peter two and verse one. He says, you know, cause Christ says they're going to be false teachers among you. False prophets are going to rise up and just before Christ returns. So this great apostasy, how does it happen? Are you just walking around one day and doing all you can and you know a demon attaches itself to you and then you apostatize? Is that how it works? Is it sort of, some sort of magical thing? No. It's through false teachers. Through false teachers. That's why Christ warns who is going to be a faithful teacher that's going to give meat in due season. 
because it's so necessary. He says, if you love me, feed my sheep. Because Satan is the great deceiver. Satan works through deception. When he's put away for a thousand years, Revelation 20, when he's finally released, the first thing he does is deception. He goes out to deceive the nations. That's what he does. And so the true teachers are constantly teaching against deception. Christ taught against deception. Paul taught against deception. Here Peter teaches against deception. It's not some superstitious thing. Second Peter 2 and verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people. Listen. Even as there shall be false teachers among you. He learned this from Christ. Matthew 24. So in the end time before Christ returns, there will be false teachers among us. And this is where the apostasy will come from. Who privately shall bring in damnable heresies. Like, you, are, the, are the people of God believing these things? Why aren't people crying out? How is it that God's people believe these things? Well, they were brought in privately. Nobody spoke up. Pretty soon you look around, everybody's believing it. You know, Pastor Murray said, I hope if we have any teachers in the system that we'll have the courage to stand up. It's hard to stand out. When you stand up, you stand out. And that, that the, the, the Satan has a system where, you know, the, the, the flower that stands the highest, that gets chopped down the first and sets an example to anybody. Anybody else want to try that? And people get cowardly. I have to drink out of my courage mug. It says, be strong and of good courage. We need courage to do this, brethren. Holy Spirit has to give us courage. We, we, we need vision. We need to understand what God is doing and the eternal glory that's coming and our part in all of this. And then why do we fear what men do, what they say about us? He says, there were false teachers among them. And then he learned from Christ and he's teaching us, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. And this whole destruction of family denies the Lord. And if we're getting caught up in these doctrines that destroy the family, we're denying the Lord. Because the whole truth is family. From, from Genesis, God created marriage, brought the man and woman together. And Paul says, this is a great mystery. But this concerns Christ and the church. So if we deny family, we deny the Lord. And they're going to bring upon themselves swift destruction. So the destruction that was meant for Israel is going to be an exchange. And they're going to get it instead. And many, so again, he learned this from Christ. Christ says, uh, many will be, many will come in my name saying I'm Christ and they shall deceive many. So many will deceive many. And so there's going to be many false teachers. This is what Peter's teaching us from when he learned it from Christ. And many shall follow their pernicious ways. Pernicious. So, so we are going to speak out against it. And they're going to hate us and we're going to be persecuted. But these ways are pernicious. By reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness, and you know, uh, Pastor Murray was talking about the destruction of the family, and this is the whole Marxist agenda. Karl Marx hated the family. He hated the family with a passion. And all these people who are coming with this uh, doctrine to teach children to, to hate the family, to, this is all Marxism. And this, I, I warned about this four years ago with the sermon, The Search for Patient Zero. It's spreading. It's a disease. It's a virus that's spreading all over the world. Satan is using this doctrine and everybody's jumping onto it. And it's covetousness. Marxism is covetousness. Somebody has, uh, it's this uh, conflict theory. 
So the whole, the root of Marxism and communism is conflict. The conflict, that somebody has something, you don't have it, you need to fight over it. And so Marxism and cultural Marxism is spreading all over the world and it's creating conflict, conflict everywhere. And these demonic beings, they feed off this doctrine or, or they feed off this conflict. And this conflict, especially when it leads to human sacrifice, they just love it. They rejoice when human beings made in God's image are sacrificed. Just the other day, I think it was this week or, or last week, uh, these Marxist followers, uh, Black Lives Matter folks, shooting two police officers in the head at point-blank range. That's human sacrifice, and the demons rejoice. And where does it come from? Covetousness. You, you hate the system. You have to overthrow the system because you don't have what others have. And through covetousness shall they, with feigned words, make merchandise of you. Black lives matter is feigned words. Oh, they, they, they love me. I'm black. And they're saying I matter. I didn't know that I mattered before. They're so nice. They're telling me I matter. Oh, I, I love them too. Oh, they want me to kill people? Well, I don't want to kill, but... I'll at least I'll support them. I'll hold up my sign. Black Lives Matter. I'm important now. It's it's this covetousness that we're buying into, and with these feigned words, they're making merchandise of God's people, whose judgment now of a long time lingers not, and their damnation slumbers not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, to hell. And delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah. And again, Christ taught him in the context of Matthew 24. Christ taught him about Noah. And it's going to be like the days of Noah. So he's just expounding now what he learned from Christ. And the same way Paul said, look, if if he didn't spare the natural branches, why do you think you'll be spared? Peter's now saying, "If if if he didn't spare the angels, why do you think you'll be spared? And so he talks about the, 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 the flood being brought upon the world. And this is exactly what he learned in Matthew 24. Verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of trials. It's, it's going to be a time of... Uh, everyone who desires to live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. We can't get out of this without persecution. It is, it is through great tribulation and much tribulation that we enter into the kingdom. We have to be prepared for this, brethren. And the true teachers of God will be preparing you for this. They won't be feeding you fluff, saying it's all going to be fine. No harm will ever come to you. You will be whisked away. No, be ready. Be grounded. Digest the meat and get strong. And be prepared to declare this no matter what, because not a hair of your head shall perish no matter what. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations, out of trials, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. And the unjust, there's going to be a great apostasy. The unjust is going to swell in rank and number. But chiefly them that walk after the lust, the, the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. And that's what this is all about, despising government. In fact, Paul in Romans 13, he says, verse 1, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power resists the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. So this whole idea of tearing down society, it comes from Satan, brethren. God's people do not believe in tearing down society because God has ordained these powers, these governments, 
especially those that have been based on the Judeo-Christian ethic, to keep everything in, in check and balance. So this now defund the police, shooting the police in the head at point-blank range, it's to remove any type of restraint so that iniquity and lawlessness can abound. And I cannot believe that Christians would support this. And now, you know, initially it was, well, we, we support, why, why are you criticizing the organization? And now where it's becoming apparent, this is a demonic organization. Well, now it's, well, we don't, we don't support the organization, we just support the slogan. Well, when you support the slogan, you're giving strength to the demonic organization. You're strengthening the hands of evil. And then now when it's becoming like apparent that this, even the slogan is satanic, there's nothing about the slogan that comes from the Bible. If you're going to identify an ethnic group to say these lives matter and you're reading the Bible, you could say Jewish lives matter. Hey, you're killing the Jews. Jewish lives matter. You could say Jacob's life matters. It's a time of trouble for Jacob. But God says, no, Jacob's life matters. But you can never get black lives matter from the Bible. There's no such thing as the black race in the Bible. There's no such thing as the white race in the Bible, the yellow race in the Bible. There's no such, the red race, there's no such thing. They're just families and descendants and seed. And so one man can have children of many colors. Israel is people of many colors. Ham, the, the, the Canaanites, the Palestinians, they say we are Canaanites. We are descendants from Ham. They're not black. So this black lives matter, that's made up nonsense. And then when they can't support the slogan, then they're just silent. But you can't be silent against evil. The scripture says we have to rebuke, expose and rebuke and refute it if we're true followers of God. In Revelation 2, in verse 18, Revelation 2 and verse 18, Christ says this, and this is important, again, this is end-time prophecy. We have to be reading Revelation and reading it and hearing it and reading it and hearing it all the way until Christ returns. There's a tremendous blessing here if we hold on to the truths in Revelation. In Revelation 2 and verse 18, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, and we did a whole study on this, it's in the archives if you missed it, These things says the Son of God, who has his eyes, like unto a flame of fire. The conquering line of the tri- tribe of Judah has fierce anger. And everybody thinks he's just this cuddly big brother that you can do whatever you like. No. He has eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know your works and charity and service and faith and your patience and your works. And the last to be more than the first, this is wonderful, that they haven't let up. Like the, the, the church in Ephesus. Their, 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 their last works are more than their first. Notwithstanding, so that's great. Notwithstanding that, I have a few things against you. What? Because you allow that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess. So, so there is a, a Jezebel historically of Elijah's time. That had 800, Elijah caused 850 prophets to be, false prophets to be put to death. Christ tells us in the end time, there will be many false prophets. The false prophets of Elijah's day were empowered by Jezebel. So Jezebel didn't have this power without false doctrine, without a false, so Jezebel controlled the narrative. 
This scripture shows us that there will be a spiritual Jezebel and a spirit of Jezebel in the end time. People who want to promote themselves, give themselves special names, call themselves prophets and prophetesses, and they're all false. But because of their exalted position that they give themselves, people listen to them. And then they bring in damnable heresies and teach superstition instead of teaching the word of God. So, so these false prophets were preaching narrative. And Christ says, in the end time, there's going to be a war over the narrative. But don't be deceived. Don't fall into false narratives. So in the end time, there's this woman, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication. So Christ is saying, why are you allowing this? And whenever you have a Jezebel spirit, then there also has to be an Ahab spirit. Ahab, who's the apparent leader, but is so weak and and just lily-livered and has no backbone that he allows Jezebel to have her way. And so that's what we see in the end time, this whole, you know, this whole Black Lives Matter. It's a Jezebel spirit. It's witchcraft. The, 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 The leaders are witches. And you never have a strong man anywhere. There's no Black Lives Matter movement where you have a strong man, a masculine man speaking out, a heterosexual masculine man being a leader. No. It's a Jezebel spirit. And then we have people in our church supporting this Jezebel spirit. We've got to root it out. Brethren, I appeal to you. You've got to repent. Shake yourself off this thing. And so Marx, Karl Marx is a son of Satan. And he's causing this uh, destruction of the family as uh, Pastor Murray spoke about. So fornication spiritually is to enter into intercourse before marriage. And so these spiritual servants are getting caught up in false doctrines and false and Baal worship and to eat things sacrificed unto idols, getting caught up in idolatry. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, but she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her. He's speaking of God's people. There's going to be a great exchange. The natural branches are going to be brought in and the wild branches are going to be gathered and burned because they're not bearing fruit. And then they commit adultery with her into into great tribulation. This is the exchange. Unless they repent of their deeds. So we have to rebuke. Oh, why are you speaking so strongly? Because we we, we love you. (laughs) We, We don't want this to happen to you. We have to speak out. The scripture tells us to rebuke with all authority. No man forbidding you. And I will kill her and her children with death. And all the churches will find out. Don't play with me. Don't take me lightly. Don't take me for granted. All the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. You're going to get behind something that destroys the family? I'll give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak. So listen to this. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you no other burden. So we just have to be faithful to the end. But he says here, they have not known the depths of Satan. What does this mean to know the depths of Satan? Satan is a mastermind. He he is a mastermind. Paul warns us of the mystery of iniquity. 
we're involved in the mystery of the kingdom, but there's a mystery of iniquity which comes out of this mastermind. What is this depth of Satan and who understands it? You know, if he's an intellectual mastermind, does it take an intellectual to understand the depths of Satan? Is that what Christ means? That you, you really have to really study to understand the depths of Satan? No. When you shoot the authorities in the head at point-blank range and carry out human sacrifice, when you abort innocent children, when you destroy the family, when, you involved, when you're involved in sexual debauchery, which defiles the family, all of this is the depth of Satan. He, he, is a, he is a mastermind. And we can be as, as dumb as a rock and know the depths of Satan. Meaning we've, we've got seduced and we got caught up in this thing. And if we do not repent, he, he's saying repent therefore. So we may have been involved in any of these things. He says, and such were some of you. Uh, any of us can come from any kind of background. He says, such were some of you. But we have to repent. And we cannot stay in the, and, and as, as Satan is running out of time, he's pulling God's people into the depths of Satan. And it starts little by little. You give in a little bit. You accept a, a one small doctrine. And before you know it, you're carrying out. Doctrine leads to behavior. What you believe dictates how you behave. That's why we must teach. That's why we must feed God's people. So that your behavior conforms to Christ. And we cannot allow heresy. We cannot allow false doctrine to, to creep into the minds of God's people. Because then you will know the depths of Satan. And then <laughs> the great exchange. All that tribulation that was designed for the natural born branches, they'll be grafted in and the Gentiles in a great apostasy will be thrown out. So let's look at a quick example of the depths of Satan that we have to avoid. Let's connect the dots. The third temple right now is being built by the Jews. So if you look at this and, and you can just do your own research, you'll see here that the third temple is underway. It's being constructed by the Jews. So we know the abomination that makes desolate must be set up in order for uh, th that signal to be shown to us. And here we see that you know, the, the, the third temple, the, the Muslims have gone in there because um, Muhammad said that you know, he floated to heaven on a white mule, donkey, part donkey, part horse thing that was white with wings, and it collected him from Arabia, and it flew to Jerusalem in, in one night, and then from there he ascended into heaven and where he met Allah and, uh, and then he came down from heaven. Uh, back to Jerusalem, back on this white horsey donk thing, donkey thing that with, with wings this, and that it flew him back to uh, Arabia. So because of that, Jerusalem is the third holiest site of the Muslims. Mecca, Medina, and then Jerusalem. So they have to have Jerusalem, and they owned, they had Jerusalem under the Ottoman Empire. And any land that's taken by Jerusalem must be, uh, by Muslims, they have to have it back. They cannot lose it again. So, so now the Jews are working with the Muslims to try to figure out, you know, the Dome of the Rock, they built their big mosque there, because that's where uh, apparently Muhammad ascended to heaven. So they built their big mosque there. So they're trying to figure out now, 
you know, how did the Jews build their temple uh, without offending the Muslims? And then we know that uh, the Ottoman Empire is being revived, and uh, Erdogan is making it quite clear that the um, Jerusalem is the red line, that you better not cross Jerusalem. So that's, that's what's happening there. And then we see now, if we look at when King Faisal, when he was um, a king in Saudi Arabia, his, his final speech before he died, if you listen to this. إن القدس الشريف يناديكم ويستغيث بكم أيها الإخوة لتنقذوه من محنته ومن مبتلي به فماذا يخيفنا هل نخشى الموت وهل هناك موتة أفضل وأكرم من أن يموت الإنسان مجاهدا في سبيل الله أيها الأخوة المسلمون نريدها قومة ونهضة إسلامية لا تدخلها قومية ولا عنصرية ولا حزبية إنما دعوة إسلامية this jihad that he's calling for, this is now Erdogan's call. As he has turned the Hagia Sophia from a museum back into a mosque to signal to all Muslims, Jerusalem is next. At the same time, the Jews want to build the third temple, and they're trying to negotiate away, and they're entering into these peace agreements, and, and they've already uh, prepared all of the gold and the silver ornaments to go into the temple, they're ready. They say they can be built. This, this can be built in three years, and so you know if they are able to uh, negotiate this agreement at the same time, Erdogan is saying Jerusalem is a red line. Now, why do I bring this up, and why, how are we connecting these dots? Because we see that God is going to save Ju- Judah and Jerusalem, and at the same time, all these neighboring countries that destroy Judah and Jerusalem, there's going to be a great exchange, and they're going to experience what they thought the Jews would experience. And we just read Zechariah 12 to see this. Now, Black Lives Matter, this ugly, satanic movement that unfortunately some of our brethren have fallen victim to. Let's connect the, the dots. The uh, Black Lives Matter movement as a Marxist movement, avowedly so, in the words of its own leader, wants to destroy the United States as a free republic and establish an authoritarian state. Now, that co- coincides 100% with the desire to destroy the United States uh, and establish the caliphate because it's both they're both authoritarian states and Islam doesn't have any problem coexisting with other authoritarian government arrangements because it in itself uh, lends itself to authoritarian rule Turkey was the only democracy ever in the Islamic world and that's on its way out now so could they ever be aligned as to the end result of such an overthrow yeah they sure could. Uh, in the Islamic Republic of Iran, Khomeini in 1979 allied with the communists and the, the Tudeh party. They thought that they could control him. Uh, 
and get to power after the Shah was toppled with his help. But he ultimately turned on them and threw them all in prison or exiled or killed them. And it's probably the same thing in this case. The secular leftists don't have any idea of the power of the jihadist movement. Very few people do in the West. But this is something, as I said, they, they've been coming at us for 1,400 years. They're very patient. And if they suffer setbacks, it's never the end. They'll just come back later. So th- so they could work together on the overthrow, but then you're going to have a battle for control yes. at that point. So yeah. the uh, so this whole Black Lives Matter movement, it's Marxist. And because it's Marxist, it's partnering with Islam. It's partnering with the Palestinian movement. Black Lives Matter, Brown Lives Matter, Jewish lives don't matter. And so this Black Lives Matter is leading to opposition against the Jews and destruction of the Jews. And so it's little by little. This, the, the depths of Satan ultimately is to participate in the destruction of the covenant people. But you don't start there. You get seduced. First Timothy 4 and verse 1, the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, our times, some shall depart from the faith. Remember, this is exactly what Paul said. You, you stand by faith. Don't be high-minded. Fear. Faith is the word of God. The Jewish people are the covenant people. Participating in a movement that wants to destroy the Jews is to depart from the faith. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, doctrines of devils. I I said in, in Patient Zero that Karl Marx was Patient Zero. This is a book by Paul Kendor called The Devil and Karl Marx. And I'll just pick it up here in the second column, first paragraph. Most sentient, most thinking human beings have at least a flickering notion of the immense suffering caused by communist ideology in the aftermath of Marxist communist manifesto penned two centuries ago. Far too many people, however, separate Marx the man from the evils ushered in by Marxism. That is a grave mistake. Not only are the results of Marxism very much the result of Marx's ideas and his very pen, but Marx himself penned some downright devilish things. Karl Marx wrote not only about the hell that was communism, but about hell itself. In some such cases, Marx portrayed himself as chosen for hell, or chose hell for himself. In still other cases, he, in the role of master of hell, consigned others to it. This is his writing. Thus heaven I forfeited. I know it full well, wrote Marx in an 1837 poem, one of many explored at length in the pages ahead. My soul, once true to God, is chosen for hell. That certainly seemed the perverse destiny of Marx's ideology. That statement also seems at least partly autobiographical, given that Marx, once a believer, he's a Jew, his father, he comes from a a family of rabbis, he converted to Christianity, given that Marx, once a believer, once a Christian, had once been true to God. In another poem, Marx wrote, The hellish vapors rise and fill the brain, till I go mad, and my heart is utterly changed. See the sword? The prince of darkness sold it to me. Here too seems an ironic metaphor for the bloody sword of communist ideology, surely favored, if not wielded, by the prince of darkness. And it too seems partly autobiographical, given how Marx's own heart had been utterly changed. So 
This man does incredible research to show that Karl Marx and his ideas were totally satanic. Black Lives Matter is witchcraft. The leaders are Marxists. Their agenda is to destroy the family and ultimately to destroy all Jews. And so we're falling into this. In Jeremiah 23, and this is the spirit of, 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 uh, of um, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. And here in Jeremiah 23 and verse 14, I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery. This is exactly what we saw in Revelation 2. And walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers. If we do not speak out against Black Lives Matter, if we say, well, it's just, I just believe in the slogan, I just support the slogan, we are strengthening the hands of evildoers. The slogan doesn't come from the Bible. The slogan is evil. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers, that none does return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom, and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood, and make them drink the water of gall, and the prophets of Jezebel. For from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Hearken not unto the words of prophets of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. When we teach, notice when I teach, brethren, I teach from the Bible. I don't give you my ideas. I give you God's ideas. My, my, my messages and Pastor Murray, Deke, all of us who are faithful to God, we teach from the Bible. We don't give you our words. They say still unto them that despise me, the Lord has said you shall have peace. If you despise God, you will not have peace. Black Lives Matter will not have peace. Anybody involved in Black Lives Matter will not have peace. Anybody involved in Marxism will not have peace. Anybody involved in Islam will not have peace. The only peace comes from the covenant. You shall have peace. And they say to everyone that walks after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, even a grievous whirlwind. It shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord shall not return. People think God isn't angry until he has executed, till he has performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, in our time now, we need to be considering the anger of the Lord. You shall consider it perfectly. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them. They call themselves prophetess and prophet. I haven't spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and their evil doings. So this is why Christ says in, in Matthew 24, who will be the faithful servant to give my, my people meat in due season? So this brings us to the final exchange. So the great exchange is on three levels. Level one, God is going to exchange the Gentiles for Israel. Level two, God is going to exchange the Gentile church, the wild branches, for the natural branches in a great great apostasy. And level three, God is going to exchange the powerful for the meek. All the powerful offices in the earth today, those people are going to be brought down. And God is going to take the meek, the poor of the earth, and put us in the highest offices. And the poor of the earth doesn't mean people who are poor right now. It means the people who are poor and meek when he returns. You might be wealthy right now, 
get ready to give it all up. Because no man can buy or sell in what's coming. And wealth is created by exchange. That's why the capitalist system, although it's a horrible system, it's the best system we've ever seen. Because it allows people to voluntarily exchange, and it's through exchange you can create wealth. Well, there'll be no exchange. If you're, if you're in Christ, there'll be no ability to exchange. And wealth will be taken from you. But be faithful to the end. And God is going to lift those that are poor and make them wealthy. Even John says in Revelation 20, those that were beheaded, the next thing he knew, he saw them sitting in thrones. And in Luke 1, verse 50, he says, And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. So brethren, this period that we're in, between now and the return of Jesus Christ, it's a tumultuous period. It's a chaotic period. Remember we talked about story, beginning, middle and end. Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. We're in Act 2. The tumultuous period, the chaotic period. And in Act 2, there's going to be this great exchange. And when we emerge into the new world, there's going to be this incredible exchange that nobody will understand. But the wise will understand and the wise will be warning. The great tribulation, which has been pronounced upon Jacob, it is the Gentiles that will ultimately suffer it in exchange level 1. The great tribulation which has been ordained for Jacob. At level two, the Gentile church will experience it. The Gentile church will be kicked out in a great apostasy because they did not receive the love of the truth. Do you love the truth, brethren, or are you casual with truth? And instead, the natural branches will be brought in. And at exchange level three, brethren, when everything is taken from us, and we are being persecuted, and we are caught up in this great tribulation and persecution of the covenant people, and we are impoverished, and we remain faithful to the end, even to love not our lives unto the death. The exchange level three is all of the power that's in this world, all of the powerful will be brought down, and we will be promoted, and we will sit in thrones, and we will usher in the kingdom of God, and we will be beside Christ. It's a great, massive exchange, brethren. Let's be truthful. Let's be faithful. And let's preach the true gospel of good news. So this great exchange, brethren, we're looking forward to Israel being grafted back in. And we've got to hold on to the truth that we have and preach it and promote it and, and rebuke one another so that we stay true to God. Let's conclude, brethren, in Isaiah 2, as we envision this great exchange that this day pictures. Isaiah 2 and verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Isaiah's, prophet concerns, Isaiah's prophecy concerns Judah and Jerusalem. And we don't make up our own prophecies. We preach the word of God. And it shall come to pass in the last days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills 
and all nations shall flow unto it. All these nations that hated Judah, all these nations that destroyed anybody who spoke well of Judah, who preached that, no, Judah are the covenant people, and they hated this, they despised this. All these nations are now flowing to Jerusalem in this great exchange. And many people shall go and say, come you and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. There is no God outside of the God of Jacob. And they will finally acknowledge this. Allah is nothing. Baal is nothing. Molech is nothing. Atheism is nonsense. There is only one God. And the whole world is going to say, come, let's go to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion and all these people that God has gathered back and he's placed them in Zion and we will be with Christ overseeing this whole operation, the Gentiles will finally acknowledge, out of Zion shall go forth the law. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Jerusalem that was made desolate has been restored. And the covenant people have been brought back there. And we are, we are with Christ overseeing all of this. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. All of this violence, brethren, that we have to undergo, it's coming to an end. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob and those grafted in and have in this covenant relationship with the God of Jacob. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Brethren, be blessed. Amen. Yes, indeed. Amen and amen. And what a wonderful time to be in. The Feast of Trumpets, what is what it portrays, what is teaching us. And specifically today what we hear from this message, all this great exchange, all these great exchanges that are coming up. I hope that as all this exchange will take part, it's not going to cut up of, of guards. It's not going to surprise us. It's not going to destroy our faith and will transform us to be more faithful, to be more godly, to the point we'll be able to die for the gospel and for one another. So thank you, Pastor Agent, for this great message. What a perfect message for this time of of here and as hopefully this message we opening actually the first day of the seven months and hope and pray then we go we're gonna get another or more appropriate message to this perfect time of year. So thank you one more time for your hard work and your dedications to the word of God. And at this time brethren we'll have a closing prayer which I'll do it and and then after the closing prayer we'll have the closing hymn. So just bow your heads. Loving God, great God. What a glory it is just to have some understanding into the word of truth. And we just hear through this message that many people read this book. Many people who read this book are blinded. And many people who read this book 
Just connect the verses together. And Father, you're calling out just few. Few from Israel, few from Judah, and few from all the other nations that you call overcomers. And to just to be in this category, Father, it's not just it's special, but it's very much accountable. And Father, especially this group, this special group of overcomers, through this coming exchange that is coming up, they will experience a great persecution. Many of the overcomers will die for this cause. But many will preach the gospel to the end. Bring many sons and daughters to the glory of God. So Father, at the conclusion of this service, and almost conclusion of this day of a trumpet, Father, I pray that when Christ comes in his glory, that your church will not be surprised. That your church will not be confused what is its mission. That your church will be actively involved in preaching the right gospel. And Father, when it comes to us, we can only pray and hope that you will, God, will give us the faith, will give us the courage to the faithful, to be faithful and to last to the end. Father, we magnify your name. We glorify your name. And yes, we can't wait till this glorious day when Jesus Christ will come. Till the day when he comes, Father. We worship you. We praise you, Father. And we ask and we beg for all these things in other name, but Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So, brother, now we'll have the last closing hymn. It's just fine in page 212. You have the hymnal. If you don't, don't worry. We'll be pro- the words will be projected on the, on the screen. It's entitled, God Speaks to Us. Have a blessed week, and thank you for tuning in.